Welcome to Hemp Stocks, where we dive deep into all things hemp and explore all the amazing opportunities and solutions that this plant has to offer. We're going to look beyond just the medicinal healing properties of CBD, because hemp is so much more than just medicine. From farming and manufacturing, carbon capture, clean energy economics, water and soil remediation, there are so many solutions if we start living hemp consciously. My name is Adam Stevens, and each week I'm going to take you on a journey as we explore all the many possibilities that hemp has to offer. So you with me? Calling all cannabinots, it's time for Hemp Stocks. All right, welcome, welcome. This is episode two of Hemp Stocks. I am so happy to be here. Again, my name is Adam Stevens, and I'm joined again with David Miguel to get things started off. David, how are you doing today? Oh, Adam, I'm doing really well, man. Doing really well. Uh, spring feels like it's in the air. That is right, man. It is a good day to talk about hemp, man, for sure. Yes, sir. Uh, this week, I'm super excited. I got a guest named Andy Kerr, and he's really sparked my imagination. He's an environmentalist and an academic, and he's written some research papers. And he's got this 20-year plan that moves and migrates our wood and fiber production from forests to hemp in the farmland. And so it's really tied into a lot of the shifts that we've been talking about, but he outlines in a way that can communicate to economists and politicians to say, hey, this is actually possible. Uh, and he's got a 20-year plan. I love that he's got a framework to it. And it's going to take people waking up and going, oh man, yeah, this is possible. Let's do it. Because there is going to be some shifts. It's very similar to the environmental issues with moving to renewables in the coal industry, right? We got to take care of everyone. We, we're not leaving anyone behind. But with change and disruption comes opportunities. I, I tell you that what I'm really stoked about with Andy is um, I think that the time is right for his idea, right? There's already disruption in the supply chain. There's already, you know, all the all the problems we've already talked about. But, you know, now we're starting to move the conversation towards solutions, yes. right? And, and that's what I really dig, Adam. And what I really find awesome about Andy and I'm interested in is, you know, we've talked about over and over again here in the Pacific Northwest and specifically where I live, um, you know, how desperate the agricultural community is, you know, for opportunity. Part of this shift is empowering the farmers. Yes, there's quote unquote winners and losers and we want to take care of the of the timber industry, but it is time again for the farmer to come to come back and be supported. And hemp is yes. a vehicle to do that. So yeah, I think it's time to welcome Andy on here. Um, again, Andy is a conservationist, he's a writer, he's an analyst, he's an operative, he's an agitator, he's a strategist, he's a tactician, and he's got an idea to help us move forward. Let's get to it. Welcome everybody. Again, I'm Adam Stevens. I am so excited right now to introduce Andy Kerr. How are you doing, Andy? Welcome to Hempstocks. I'm doing good. Thank you. 
this paper that you put out in uh, 2019 called Migrating Most U.S. Fiber Production from Forest to Farm. I want to compliment you on it, the way it's put together. You've explained things. So even if someone doesn't have an economic background, um, they can pick it up and you kind of walk them through what a net present value is, for example. And so it does make it digestible more so to the average person. All right. Soon to be a mo major motion picture. <laughs> exactly. So um, you put together a 20-year plan, which is somewhat aggressive, but I love having some sort of framework to it. Basically moving 75% or so of wood products from forest land to farmland. It is definitely doable. We need to educate people on it and educate politicians on it. And I think a lot of people are going to kind of learn uh, a lot from what you put together here. First, we'll kind of start with a term I want to get out there. Basically, economists have figured out a way finally to put a monetary value on things that we don't consider the beauty of a forest and, and, and all of the value that a forest has other than logging it. And the term they come up with, NRMES, non-raw material ecosystem services. And this was a new concept to me. Can you just, you know, I, I kind of explained it, but anything else that you want to say about that? and what it's allowed economists to do now that they have that tool. Well, forests are valuable, but valuable to who and for what? So the value of a forest to a landowner, maybe let's say on average is $2,000 an acre. That's what you wanna go out and buy an acre of forest land. The only way that landowner can make any money is to log it. When you log, you're harming the many non-raw material ecosystem services, let's just call them ecosystem services, like water and wildlife habitat and pollution abatement and aesthetics and recreation and all those kinds of things. Uh, those societies getting those values from that forest land until that forest land owner logs it, then society doesn't get those values anymore. So we have a failure in the market where the market value of the wood of the, is the only value that the market recognizes, the wood in the forest. So is there a way for the market to recognize the value for these other ecosystem services? Because we have a climate crisis. The reason I have an ambitious plan is because we need to stop sending so much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, mainly from fossil fuels, but historically a huge amount of what the carbon in the atmosphere now that is in excess came from logging forests starting in the 1400s yeah. on a massive scale. So forests, there's, you know, we talk about, well, we could have uh, carbon capture. We can capture carbon out of the air and put it in the ground, back in the ground or something like that. We do that now, it's called trees. Mm -hmm. So if we let trees grow, they will continue to sequester carbon and store it safely in ecosystems and take it out of the atmosphere. But we say with forests, we need forests for fiber, for construction products and paper products. Well, it turns out that fiber is pretty fungible. It doesn't have to come from wood for these, these construction and paper products. Most of the world's paper actually doesn't come from wood now. It does in the United States and Canada, but the rest of the world makes most of their paper out of agricultural waste products. Yeah. So these forests, if we had more forests, we could address the extinction crisis because a lot of the loss of forests, it can be tied to the loss of species and ecosystem services and functions. It can be tied to uh, degradation of watersheds. Uh, siltation, changing stream flows, things like that. So wouldn't it be great if we could save the forest? Well, yes, it would, but then what do you do for your fiber? 
-hmm. Well, move fiber production back to the farm. That's kind of where hemp comes in. What I thought was was just kind of mind-blowing is the size of the fibers. Let's kind of talk about the difference between the fiber lengths between um, hemp and, and traditional wood. Yeah, you know, I mean, a hardwood or a softwood, you can measure it in a few millimeters. A hemp fiber, the long fibers on the outer part of the plant can be up to 55 millimeters long. So, you know, it's a long fiber. And so what the beauty of hemp is, is that it has inordinately long fibers compared to uh, uh, wood fibers. And so there are voluminous amounts of agricultural waste that are for the most part being burned. Those could be made into construction and paper products. However, the fibers are kind of short. But if you blend in a mix of, of hemp into that, you could make very strong uh, construction products and paper products, but you need the longer fiber. So, yeah. you know, I, we don't need to make uh, two before equivalents out of 100% hemp. Mm -hmm. We don't need to make paper out of 100% hemp. You have all these egg waste fibers. And so you could make a product that is technically as, as good as our existing construction and paper products with a blend of hemp and agricultural fibers, either the waste fibers or other intentional fibers that are grown. I, I bet the average listener out there doesn't realize that the farm has nowhere to go with this waste in a lot of time after they've extracted the sugar from the sugar cane, the, the rest of the, the plant just gets burned. Um, often it's, burned is the most yeah, common thing so, is to burn um, these waste. This is a way for farmers to take that what would otherwise be waste. So now what is that process of synthesizing those that's going to need to go to a facility? Do those facilities currently exist? The technology might need to change. Um, and, and is that kind of one of the main um, barriers there? There's many barriers. I mean, technically it's possible to uh, do it, but the market isn't there because wood's cheap. Mm -hmm. in, in a short-term sense. And, and so uh, wood is hard to make into pulp because you have to do chemical or mechanical or combination of process because uh, wood is associated with lignin. Lignin is, is tough. You want the cellulose to make the paper. You don't want the lignin. So with hemp fiber and agricultural fibers, they don't have a lot of lignin. In. Think a tree has a lot of lignin. Uh, a, a small plant doesn't have a lot of lignin. And so there are differences. A tree, you can leave it standing and then cut it down just before you want to make it into pulp or, or lumber. With egg waste you, and hemp, you have a harvest period. So you got to store that somehow. So there are some technical challenges. They're all can be overcome, but it's, it's right now, you know, the society needs to answer the question, what's the highest and best use of our forest? What are we going to do about climate change? And my argument is, is that the highest and best use of forests is not logging, even though that's the most common use of a forest, mm -hmm. and rather the climate change. We need to, we have too much carbon in the air already. So yeah, we got to get off fossil fuels like yesterday mm -hmm. and we should, but there's still too much carbon dioxide pollution in the air. And the best way to bring that back is to let forests grow. And when you do that, you have all these other ecosystem services that are helpful to species and watersheds and uh, recreation and all those other values. Okay, great. Let's get into a little bit of the specifics here. You've broken out uh, all the U.S. fiber that gets logged in forests right now. You've broken that into three categories. Pulp and paper, that makes up 54%. So about half of everything we log wood for gets turned to pulp and paper. Of that, 
about 95% could be replaced by hemp. So right there, just in the paper that we use, if we can move off of this wood pulp, we can save quite a bit. Then you have wood-based engineered composites. So these are smaller pieces of wood that are not reduced to pulp, but get turned to, say, plywood, things like that. That's about 32%. And then sawn wood is 15%. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah, and so sawing wood is like making lumber. You know, you take a tree, you, you, you cut it into boards. Um, the, but a lot of what they're doing now out of wood, and we can do the same thing out of uh, agricultural fibers, is we're taking little pieces of wood, little chips and, and parts of it and using some glue and some technology, and we're making whole boards out of it, or we're making uh, engineered wood products alternative to lumber and things like that. They're, they're made out of wood, but they're stronger and they're lighter. They're straighter, they don't warp and all those kinds of, so they have technical benefits. So it's all that technically feasible to do that with agricultural products, as long as you have a fiber like hemp. There are other fibers that can work too. Hemp seems to have, uh, because of their particularly long fibers, tend to have, it seems to have a technical and eventually we hope a competitive advantage. Yeah. Yeah. It was something I didn't quite, you know, put together that every time you recycle paper, those fibers get shorter and shorter and eventually it won't be recyclable anymore. You know, we just kind of assume, oh, I'm recycling this. And there's this kind of uh, never ending cycle. As long as we recycle, everything's fine. Um, and so the, uh, you know, the idea that if you start with a much, much longer fiber, it's going to be recyclable for longer. And you so can blend in the longer fibers again from hemp yeah. into those shorter fire, uh, raw material sources of recycled fibers, and yeah. you can stretch the supply. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So there's other benefits for hemp to be a rotational crop for farmers anyway. It would seem that it would benefit the farmer to introduce hemp as a rotational crop. Yeah, because a lot of farmers are in the United States are subsidized commodity crop farmers for corn, wheat, and soybeans and mm -hmm. rice and sorghum and things like that. But uh, they're usually on one or two crops and they're using heavy amounts of chemicals. And with if you can insert a profitable rotation crop like hemp, uh, it can be profitable, but you give the soil a rest from that particular kind of agriculture. And, uh, and so you will tend to increase the soil organic carbon levels, which is good for productivity, as well as getting additional carbon out of the air and back in the ground. Mm -hmm. So there's, there are benefits. Uh, right now, the, the craze over hemp is mainly as CBD extracts for mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. medical or recreational purposes. Uh, and so, you know, I'm most interested in the fiber. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Than, so that is kind mm -hmm. of one thing we like to focus on all the many different aspects of hemp. And there is definitely a medicinal side of it. Do you see that as an impediment or as a help that people are becoming more familiar with hemp and CBD? Because the CBD market is different from the uh, industrial market, right? And mm -hmm. so farmers have been kind of, if they focus on the CBD route, they're not using that those for fibers, right? Primarily because it's cultivated differently. If you're growing for, and this could be marijuana too, but I mean, if you're growing for CBD, you want a bushy plant, mm -hmm. lots of flowers. Sure. Uh, if you're growing for fiber for stock, you, you, you want plants that are grow very tall, 
and they're very close together. Yeah. So depending on your objective, you're going to cultivate it differently. So yeah, in some ways it would seem that that would be easier for the farmer uh, to harvest, but it's the market that is right now so heavily focused on CBD. The farmer then focuses their farming practice to harvest that CBD as opposed to doing it for the fiber. I mean, our challenge right now is there's no demand for, there's very little demand for non-wood products. You can go to the store and if you go to the right kind of stores, you might see some toilet paper made out of bamboo. Right. You might see some bamboo products. You might see some, there are some people trying to use hemp fiber to compress into construction products, um, but it's hard to get. There's not much demand for it. So you, you, you create demand by either the consumer starts saying, I want that. I, I demand that you make that. I will buy that if somebody makes it. The other is um, it's sort of like electric cars. You know, how much of it's the consumer demand starting to pick up? You know, people want electric cars, but it was first the government forcing the industry into you're going to build cars that don't pollute. Oh, it kind of makes sense maybe to be electric. Right. So that's how Tesla made most of his money for the first several years. Wasn't actually making cars. It was getting uh, selling their credits of pollution-free cars to other car companies who had to meet the EPA standards. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a variety of ways that we can change a market. But right now, you know, it's it's not so much the technical limitation. It's it's there's economic challenges. And so, but if it's a good idea that these forests ought to not be logged and they're more important left standing, if it's a good idea to help farmers have, be more profitable and, and, and do better farming, more sustainable farming, then um, it's a good idea to get carbon out of the air. Well, then, you know, here's, here's a path to do that. Absolutely. I think you outlined it really well, and it is kind of a win-win-win for everyone. You even explain how it would work for the current timber industry and how they can have a little golden parachute to kind of walk away. I mean, it's it's laid out very well. And so the next step is getting information like this out there to people and then the building support among politicians, because ultimately it is going to need to be some sort of political action. And a lot of this just doesn't seem to be on people's radars, but a lot of it is because their imagination hasn't been stirred. They don't realize the potential. They don't understand that hemp fibers mixed with what is currently waste fibers can be a substitute uh, for a majority of the wood that we're currently using. So I think if people understood that, there would be a much stronger push. Yeah, there would. And it, it takes a while. I mean, one thing that could be done, the government could say, the federal government is one of the biggest purchasers of products in the country and in, mm-hmm. in, in the world. And so if it said, you know, by X year, we're just not going to buy any paper made out of wood. Mm-hmm. Send a signal to the market that, you know, the government's going to buy this paper. I mean, the reason we got airbags in cars is because the government said, we're not going to buy any cars that don't have airbags. That made, that made the big automaker switch. They weren't wanting to switch until then. And once one of them cracked, they all went. So, you know, the power of government through purchasing can be there. The power of government through regulation, the power of the consumer through markets, Mm -hmm. you know, assuming they have, you know, for many years, I haven't wanted to buy an internal combustion vehicle, but only relatively recently have there been real alternatives. 
Yeah. So we're kind of in that early stage here with construction and paper products that don't come from wood. You can find some paper. You can find tree-free papers. Mm-hmm. You got to look for them. Go to Google it, and they, and they, yeah. they are there. Yeah. But it's not the standard paper when you go to uh, yeah. the local uh, stationery store and say, I would like a ream of paper for my printer. Yeah. I would like it to not be made of tree flesh. You're probably not going to be able to get no, a they ream don't, of that. They don't make it easy on you, do they? No, right. they do not. So it is kind of that multi-front where there's the consumers that need to express their voice and then as constituents express their voice to their politicians. It can't really happen gradually. There does need to be some sort of a momentum and a kind of a push for it because it is disruptive. Yeah, it is disruptive to the way that things are currently being done right now. It is absolutely disruptive, but it's a necessary disruption. So how do you make this happen? How do you pay for it? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to put a price on carbon. You know, either tax carbon or make it make it not attractive to be burning carbon dioxide laden fuels anymore. We could take part of the money the government collects on a carbon tax, and it could be dedicated to buying forest land from willing sellers. So then the government could also change its purchasing things, and that with you know one of the problems we have is the lumber mills in the Pacific Northwest. That's where the lumber mills are. And they're going to have to retool or be different product because most of the fibers in the Midwest part of the United States, mm-hmm. the vast, vast majority of the amount of fiber is in the Midwest. So there's not, there's, there's all kinds of economic transition. The good thing about economic transition is that every time you do it, you invest in the next round of technology and innovation, you become more efficient. Mm-hmm. So it can become more profitable. So we won't have to necessarily trade one ton of wood fiber for one ton of ag fiber. So there's all kinds of, of, of potentials, but it's, it's, it's that chicken and egg thing. How do you, how do you get things started? Mm-hmm. And I've laid out a, a plan that could work, uh, but it's going to change. It's going to, it could have starts and fits and, and go down wrong ways and come back. And not unlike many of our major changes where we decided to, as a matter of public policy, to have safer cars or uh, other safer products or, you know, discourage the use of tobacco. There's a variety of, of levers that, that government could use, but government has to decide. Now, I happen to believe, uh, and the facts support, we are in a climate emergency. Mm-hmm. And so we need to take dramatic, radical actions, radical in the sense of fundamental, like get to the, the, the source of the problem. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, we, I think we can end up better on the other side. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as Bill Clinton said, everybody's for change in general, but not in particular. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are talking about particulars. There, you know, the, there would be a massive transformation of where construction and paper products are made in the United mm-hmm. States. Um, not unlike what's happening with electric cars. You know, they're being made in places they make, they didn't make cars before. Yeah. So um, there is going to be a lot of transition. And I propose that with that carbon tax, some of that money, and, you know, the rough figure, it was like uh, a 20, don't quote me on this, it's in my paper, but it's like 25 cents a gallon equivalent of, of a gas tax. Now, everybody's a little, everybody gets sensitive about gas prices. That's the cost if you want to pay the cost of, the social cost of carbon, the amount, the cost of society of that pollution associated with that gallon of gas, there should be a 25 cent additional tax on it. Mm-hmm. And frankly, uh, between winter and summer uh, and supply and demand, uh, gas prices go up and down that much all the time. Yeah. 
Sure. We tend to be very short-sighted in our thinking in that we go, I want the cheapest car. Well, what's the cheapest car? The cheapest car to buy or the cheapest car to own and operate? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you go with an electric car, boy, they cost more up front, but you don't have to change the oil. <laughs> they, have, yeah. they have less moving parts. Yeah. They are cheaper per mile to operate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now some people can make that initial investment and pay more for an electric car and some can't. So there, there's a variety of ways. And I propose that part of that carbon fee to, to fund this transition be used to fund displaced workers. There will be displaced workers. We don't like to usually talk about that, but in any dynamic economy, there are going to be displaced workers. It just happens as as technology changes. And we as a society ought to get better about that Mm -hmm. and acknowledge it up front, embrace it, essentially. And I I do propose a, a golden parachute for the displaced workers in the wood products industry and the, and the logging industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important. And, uh, you know, change is, is scary for people. Uh, but uh, like you say, if we understand the need for a, a, a dynamic economy to have the ability to change and to shift, uh, that's kind of the whole, the whole point of the way that it's structured is to have that ability when there's an efficiency, the market can change. It makes me excited. I want to tell people about it. I want people to understand that the possibilities are there. So how, how would someone go about getting this article here? Because it's um, if someone's interested, if they're listening and they want to learn more. It's behind a paywall. I don't, I don't remember the price, but it's, it's a lot of money. But the way it works with papers like this, scientific published papers like this, if you happen to uh, be able to discover the author's email address, you can email them and request a copy. And every author is just thrilled to send out their paper to somebody who might be interested in it. My yep. email address is andykerr, one word, at andykerr.net. And yeah, so Andy's email will be in the um, info description of the podcast here. So definitely, if you want to know about this, reach out, have any questions, or if you want to read the article, please reach out to him. Like he said, uh, the authors are are excited to share their knowledge with people. So um, yeah, and then if it's something, if, if it makes sense to you, for me, I connected the dots pretty quickly and you wanna you know, talk to your politicians about it, uh, start Googling and seeing what kind of um, hemp paper, bamboo paper is currently out there. And, and uh, when you buy paper next, it's easy with paper, but uh, if there are a few construction products you can find, but when you're uh, you know, buying paper next time for toilet paper or uh, printing paper, mm-hmm. um, Look, go the extra mile. It's going to cost you a little more. Go the extra mile and get uh, some pre-free product. And uh, it's hard to walk into Home Depot and find anything that's a tree-free construction product at this point, but start asking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Andy, it has been a pleasure. I really appreciate you joining us today on Hemp Stocks. Uh, so thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you in the future. All right. All right. Well, that was great. And again, um, please contact Andy if you want to read through this. It's only about 15 pages or so. It's a pretty quick read. And again, it can inspire you um, to kind of get your imagination going. So, hey, David, you're back with me here, man. Uh, What did you think of what Andy had to say? Oh, man, mind blown. Like, I actually, I... It's cool to see that there are people out there that uh, have this vision that's even 
extended beyond what we've been thinking about and talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And Andy is definitely one of those guys who has had hemp in the environment on his mind for a long time. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, and it's interesting, and he didn't get into it too much, but his journey into hemp, you know, he's not a big hemp guy. It was the fact that he was looking for a solution to the deforestation problem. You know, he came at it from there was an endangered owl that he wrote a paper on. And um, from there, he started looking at solutions. And he said, okay, well, we need to replace our fiber. What's the best fiber? And he looked at all of them. You know, he didn't just start with hemp, you know, he just found that it was superior due to a lot of the things that we talked about in the episode. I I think the thing that blew my mind the most was when you guys were talking about um, the fibers and then, you know, the length of fibers and the relationship of fiber length to recyclability. Um, that's that's something I don't think uh, many of us day to day when we're recycling our papers and cardboard boxes, we don't even think about that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And being able to then stretch the supply chain by once they get too short and they become waste fibers again, reintroduce more hemp into it and stretch the supply chain. Next week, we're actually going to speak with a farmer who is working out in Montana, Ken Elliott, and he's uh, the owner of IND Hemp, and they've made the transition to fiber, and they're kind of an all-in-one company out there doing um, some really cool stuff. So I'm really excited to bring him on. So, you know, this week, it was all kind of, it was a little intellectual and theoretical as Andy kind of laid out a vision and a path forward. And now in the next couple of weeks, we'll start to talk to other farmers and some people that are actually doing the things on the ground so we can kind of see how this fledgling uh, industry is kind of growing and see what we can do to help help it continue. Yeah, we're going to be talking to the people who are actually getting it done with hemp, and I'm pretty excited about that, you know. They're definitely the people I'm looking towards as someone trying to bring, you know, hemp fiber and textiles here to the Pacific Northwest. So I look forward to hearing your interview, Adam. Yeah, and you know, uh, Andy kind of threw out a challenge there uh, at the end. He said the next time you're going to buy paper products, see if you can buy it with hemp. And so I'm going to take him up on that. So uh, over this next week, I'll be doing that. I'll check in with you guys next podcast and we'll see how that went. But uh, I'm sure it'll be a challenge. But um, that's the thing. We got to start somewhere. Right. And so let's find the people that are doing the right thing and let's support them. These are the voices that need to be heard right now. You know, that's right. Amen. Well, great. Well, that wraps up another wonderful week. Thanks again. Again, David for joining me and uh, thanks so much to Andy Kerr for taking the time to, to be a guest on here we will see you again next week again my name is Adam Stevens for David Miguel peace <laughs>